good morning. So I'm P.T. Wilson. Uh, Joe tells me that you all usually get out of worship about 1.45, so <laughs> thank you for inviting me to come and share the day. Uh, Joe and Lauren and I have known each other for a while. I had the honor of performing their wedding. That's a while ago. And Joe was somebody that I met when he was 16 years old, involved in outdoor ministries, already getting training to become a leader. And he's been in the leader in the United Methodist Church now for 20, 21 years. That's a long, you're getting old. <laughs> you still got hair, that's no fair. Uh, Joe asked if I would share about Native American ministry and about Native American spirituality. Um, before we begin, I'm going to ask you a funny question, because Joe and I and every United Methodist pastor at the beginning of the year have to turn in a form, and on that form, one of the hundred and something questions that is asked is, what is the ethnic background of your congregation? Is anybody here Indian? Is anybody here Native American? Have you ever been asked that before? You are. Good. Have you ever been asked that before? What we have found out across the United Methodist Church all over the country is that just people assume that if you're not of another ethnic minority that's easily identified, then you're Caucasian. And what we're discovering is that's not true at all. This morning, if it's acceptable with you, we're going to do three things. We're going to talk a little bit about Indians and Native Americans and a little bit of the background. We're going to talk about some teachings of spirituality that come through. And then we're going to talk about how this all applies to the walk to Emmaus and our Christian faith as people on the journey with Christ. Is that acceptable to you all? Then before we begin, let us pray. God, be with us here so that the words I've prepared and now are about to say might be touched by you, and that what these good people would hear would be your message of truth for their daily journey. Amen. Now, I've learned that wherever I go, if I'm talking about Native American spirituality, I need to uplift some of the traditions out of that spirituality. One of them is that whoever is the spiritual head of a church, I am to give their spouse a gift. Lauren, would you be willing to receive that? That was made by hand by a woman in Cincinnati. And I believe it's Malachite. Nobody else gets a gift like that, I'm sorry. <laughs> May have other gifts, but nobody gets a gift like that. So about 1491, not 1492. About 1491, there were over 12 and a half million Indian people here in North America. Slavery began in this country in 1492, when for the next 200 years, Columbus and then other Spanish leaders took Native American people away from this soil to be slaves in Europe. Native American people are a proud people who have lost so much over the last 200 years. Originally very friendly and welcoming of Caucasians and whites and Western European people, only to find that their land was being taken from them 
their practices were being taken from them. In some cases, even their spirituality was being taken from them. Most people don't realize that John Wesley was here in what's now the continental United States where he preached and converted the Cherokee. Where the Cherokee were a mighty nation, a Christian people. The first church west of the Mississippi River is a church that the Cherokee people brought with them. They carried that church piece by piece from Georgia all the way to Oklahoma. And it was a Methodist church that they built. The integration of Christianity with the Indian and Native American people has been long-term. Even today, over 70% of Indian and Native American people are Christian. But just like Christians everywhere around the world, one of the things we struggle with is how do you integrate the Christian faith and teachings with the culture in which you find yourself? Native American people for several decades were told by the Christian churches here in the United States that you could not be an Indian and be a Christian. For several decades, Indian children were taken off reservations to schools run by the Methodist Church and the Presbyterian Church and the Lutheran Church where it was punishable to speak their own language, where great pride was taken in having their hair, especially males with what you and I would call a ponytail, where hair was removed from children, and where they were forced to dress and act just like Western European Caucasian children. And we can go on quite a bit more in terms of some of the things that happened to Native American people in this country, but that's not why I'm here. I do have more information up front if you want some more information on that, and I'd be glad to share that with you. Let me ask you a question. Do you know the difference between an Indian and a Native American? So an Indian is a person who is a card-carrying member of a tribe. We have 567 officially, federally recognized tribes. Every tribe has their own policy about who can become a tribal member. And some of the tribes are pretty loosey-goosey. Can I say that here at a United Methodist Church? Okay, all right. And some of the tribes are very, very strict and severe. When I served as the pastor at Ellettsville United Methodist Church outside of Bloomington, I had a woman in her 70s who had been raised on the Blackfoot Reservation in Nebraska. Her parents were both card-carrying members of the tribe. Her parents were both 100% blood Blackfoot Indian. She was born on the reservation she lived her entire life on the reservation, never left the reservation until four days before her 18th birthday when she went to the University of Nebraska as a freshman. And because she had been off the reservation before her 18th birthday, 
she was not granted her tribal membership. That's how severe the Blackfeet understand this. This woman carried that pain for the rest of her life. So she was not an Indian because she did not have tribal membership. She was Native American. In up till 1990, whenever any of us filled out a census, we could always mark down whatever our ethnic background was on that census. Most of the time, 1970, 1980, 1990, I marked down that I was Native American. But beginning with the census of 2000, it is now illegal to mark yourself down as Indian or Native American unless if you have tribal membership. It's punishable by two years in a federal penitentiary. So you can mark down that you're Caucasian. You can mark down that you're African American. You can mark down that you're Hispanic. There are no laws that say you're not free to do that. But if you mark down that you are an Indian or Native American and you don't have tribal membership, you can be put in prison. Holy cow, that's strange. Now, let me uplift a couple of resources. If you go on Cokesbury.com, you all know what Cokesbury is? You know, the United Methodist Publishing House? If you go on Cokesbury.com and you ask for any type of Native American material, they have 110 things that you can purchase from them right now. Some of it's Sunday school material, some of it's children's material, some of it's academic work. If you go on Amazon.com, you can find this book from the United Methodist Women's Program. It's called Giving Our Hearts Away. I think it's the finest thing and the easiest thing to understand regarding the United Methodist Church and Native American ministries. And if you're a United Methodist woman and you went to any of the uh, mission schools that used to be held at University of Indianapolis, uh, we used to teach from this book. You can now get this book for 99 cents off of Amazon. That's a lot cheaper and you can get it from Cokesbury, let me tell you. But it's a very good book. Now, Joe asked me to do a little bit around Native American spirituality. I brought some sage if anybody wants to be uh, smoked. <laughs> but let me tell you, once you have the smoke from this on your clothes, on your skin, it stays on you for about three or four days. But if anybody wants to be smudged, or if you want me to come to your home and smudge your home so that we get rid of all the negativity and the evil that may be in your home, uh, we can talk about that for a donation to the church. I might be able to do that for you. When we start looking at the United Methodist Church and Native American ministries, we have an awful lot to bring balance to. Up until 1978, the United Methodist Church was one of the social agencies that was empowered by the federal government to go to any reservation and take any child under the age of four and forcibly remove that child 
so that that child could be adopted by any white family in the country. We're having to make up for the pain that we caused. We still ran schools on reservations, which in many cases were cruel. I visited one in a on a reservation in South Dakota that had 73 students in a dorm area with 15 beds. We have a lot to make up for. A couple of years ago, the United Methodist Church officially had a forgiveness worship service for our participation in the Sand Creek Massacre. And the Sand Creek Massacre happened in Colorado, where some of our Methodist pastors uh, led um, a horrible situation where over 200 women and children were slaughtered. They did so singing Amazing Grace. And while that's a dearly beloved hymn across most of the land with Native American and Indian people, those who are from the Colorado area still can't sing it because of the pain associated with that. So we have six special Sundays throughout the year in which offerings are requested from churches. And one of them is Native American Awareness Sunday. And monies from those offerings, especially the one for Native American Awareness, goes to help train pastors and seminary who are Indian and Native American people. Helps to provide services in your local area. For instance, do you all know we have a Native American United Methodist Church here in Indiana? It's in Indianapolis. You ought to visit it sometime. It's fascinating. Also, to provide health care services. One of the things I learned, unfortunately, is that the United States federal government supplies health care for Indian people. And if an Indian person is diabetic, the United States health care that's provided is one thing. It's called amputation. So I had the privilege of being the founding chair of Native American Ministries for the state of Indiana in the United Methodist Church. And every year we received a little bit over $10,000 to be able to use it here in Indiana for ministry needs. And most of our funds were spent buying diabetic testing kits and strips and then going to powwows and offering those to anybody who was diabetic who didn't have insurance or couldn't afford any type of testing like that. You all participated in a great ministry there. Made a lot of difference in the lives of people. Where's the closest powwow to Darlington? There is one in Lafayette. In fact, there are two now. The Miami Nation people have a powwow in Rockville, Indiana. Uh, the Lakota people have a Sundance in Bainbridge. You all know where Bainbridge, Indiana is? For eight days, there'll be people dancing around a tree. And if you ever saw uh, a movie back from the 70s with Dustin Hoffman, you remember the image of people being hung by strings from the tree for four days. They do that 
at that Sundance in Bainbridge, and you're invited to come. Uh, you don't have to be hung from a tree in order to participate. That's a good thing. If I were to ask you, what do United Methodist people believe? We would have some unity about that. If I were to ask you, what do United Methodist people practice? Uh, it's going to be different church to church. I love the hymns you all sang. I knew all of them but one. Hey, that's pretty good. Anytime you're dealing with Native American people, spiritually, they all talk about the circle. They call it different things. Now, this is called the dream catcher. Well, not really. This was made in China. This is not the way dream catchers really are supposed to look. But I want to use this to illustrate something. I'm going to harm the dream catcher. My apologies for doing that, if the scissors are strong enough. In Native American spirituality, we always talk about the sacred hoop. So when I directed church camp, we had some people who came in and showed our junior high how to make their own dream catchers. They're made out of a certain bark. They have spider webbing inside of them, feathers representing different things, jewels representing different things. And you'll find this symbol used by Native people all over the United States. Now, if you're familiar with the Ojibwa, they say these are dream catchers. You put one up in your window, and this allows only good dreams to come your way, and it catches the negative dreams so that when the sunlight begins in the next morning, then the negative dreams all melt away. But my heritage is Cherokee. May I have uh, that, that one here? Who'd be willing to come up and help me with something? Would you be willing to come up and help me? Come on up. So this looks pretty flimsy. Feel that. It's kind of, yeah, it looks pretty flimsy. But with all that netting together, it can take a lot of pressure, a lot of weight. Um, sometimes when I'm demonstrating this and I'll, and I'll have like a two-year-old, I'll say, hold on to the net and I will lift them up and everybody will ooh and ah that it's strong enough to lift up a little child. It's kind of fun to do. My grandfather from Tennessee told me about how this represented every person in our family. Every person in our family had part of the web, which was them, symbolically. And how together, we're strong. Nothing can get us down. But if one person doesn't fulfill their responsibility, the whole family falls apart. Wasn't that like a church? If one person doesn't fulfill their responsibility, it affects the entire congregation. Let me give you a gift for helping out. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Generally, you'll see four directions in Native American spirituality. One direction is east. One direction is south. One direction is west. And one direction is north. Let me tell you about this. 
From the east, you have the sunrise. It's beautiful. It fills you up. It gets you ready for the work ahead. It gives you hope. You know that the universe is with you in strength with the sunrise. From the south, you're doing your good work. You're working at the labor of the day. You're working hard. You're succeeding. You're doing all kinds of projects. That's the south. From the west, you're beginning to wrap things up on your projects. You're still working, but you're coming to the conclusion of your work. From the north, you rest. You review. You wait for new dreams and new vision. And once you receive that new dream, that new vision, then you're ready to move to the east and begin the cycle again. So maybe you are a person who's been in love, hopefully with your spouse. You begin in the east. Oh, that love is like, oh, oogly boogly, hotsy totsy. Oh, you love that kind of love. And then you have your time together, your work together. Maybe you raise a family. Maybe you have children. And then you near retirement. And then in your old age, if you will, you reflect and celebrate and wait for renewal. Maybe you go through such a cycle every year in your marriage. You know, you fall in and out of love. You can be married to the same person for 50, 60 years. You're not in love with them all the time. It's not always oogly-boogly, hotsy-totsy. It's nice when that comes back, but it goes through a cycle. Spiritually, we go through a cycle. We begin in the East. Maybe we're converted. Maybe we have our first experiences of Christ. Maybe after being raised in the church, suddenly it's no longer our parents' faith, it becomes our faith. And then we have our work to do. And maybe that work is short-term, or maybe that work is long-term, a life calling. And then we go to the West. We're beginning to finish up that work. I'm doing that right now with the congregation I'm serving. I'm on study leave for a few months. And after serving that congregation for three years, I'm going to be leaving that congregation. They're finding that out today. In that congregation, I'm in the West. During these months of study leave, I've been in the North, reviewing, reflecting, catching new vision, what would God have me do next? And today it's being announced that in July I begin as the senior pastor at Danville United Methodist Church. We go through these seasons of change. We have two people on the road to Emmaus in our scripture this morning. They've been by Jesus' side. They were excited about his ministry, his presence. They saw his good work. They saw his life come to an end on the cross. 
And then they started on the road to Emmaus, seven miles north of Jerusalem. And in going to the north, they didn't even recognize when Jesus was by their side. In going to their home, they invited this stranger to come in and eat with them. They heard him talking a lot about the scriptures and new understanding, but they weren't quite catching the vision just yet. And then in the breaking of the bread, they realized that it was Jesus Christ in their midst. And suddenly they're ready to go east again. New work. New vision. New ministry. Some of us are in the east right now. Some of us are in the south. Some of us are in the west. Joe, you just lost your father. You've got to go to the north before you can start the circle again. This is a part of native spirituality as it's integrated with Christianity. It gives us hope that God is a part of the entire sacred hoop. It gives us purpose that we're still on the journey. We're still traveling. We still have things to do. It gives us meaning that our work may be over in one area but there's new work ahead. And it confirms what the Christian scriptures say, that it's in the darkest times, in the breaking of the bread, when we find the presence of Christ with us the strongest. Good people of God, continue in your journeys. And wherever you are in the hoop, may God be leading you and guiding you and using you. And as we go from time to time through the north, may the Spirit of Christ inspire and direct you to new visions of ministry. Amen. Amen.